Chapter Eleven of Khaled, A Tale of Arabia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joe Denoya, Somerset, New Jersey. Khaled, A Tale of Arabia by Francis Marion Crawford. Chapter Eleven. In these days, many of the Bedouin tribes came near the city and encamped in great numbers within half a day's journey and less. Abdullah was exceedingly busy with his preparations, and spent much time in talking with the other sheiks, hardly making any concealment of his movements or plans. For by this time it seemed clear to him that the greater part of the people were with him, and everyone spoke of the coming overthrow of Khaled as an open matter. Khaled himself, too, was reported to be in fear of his life, and he was no longer seen in the streets as formerly, nor in the courts of the palace, nor even every day in the hall, but remained shut up in the harem and none saw him except the women and a few slaves. Men said aloud that he was in great fear and distress, and as this story gained credence, so Abdullah's importance increased, since it was he who had brought such terror upon Khaled. All this was open talk in the bazaar, but Abdullah was himself somewhat suspicious, supposing that Khaled must have a plan in reserve for defending his possession of the throne. Abdullah, however, kept secret the manner in which he intended to enter the palace, though he promised his adherents to open them the gates of the castle and the doors of the treasure chambers on a certain day, which he named at the time of the first call to prayer in the morning, warning all those who were with him to come together in the great square before that hour in order to be ready to help him, if necessary, and to overwhelm the guards of the palace if they should make any resistance. But he did not know that the man of his tribe who was kinsman to the chief of the beggars had overheard his talk with his wife. Meanwhile, the beggars seemed to be multiplied exceedingly in Riyadh for whenever Abdullah went out of his house, they came upon him, sometimes by twos and threes, and sometimes in scores, pressing close to him and begging alms. They also cried out a great deal, praising his generosity and praying for blessings upon him. Behold the sheik of sheiks, they exclaimed. He bears gold in his right hand and silver in his left. Yallah! Send him a long life and prosperity, for he loves the poor, and his name is the almsgiver. He is not El-Harir, but El-Rahman and his heart overflows with mercy, as his purse does with small coins. Come, O brothers, and taste of his charity, which is a perpetual spring of good water beside a palm tree full of sugar dates. Ya Abdullah, servant of Allah, we love you. You are our father and mother. Your kafiya is a banner which goes before our pilgrimage. Come, O brothers, and taste of his charity. Abdullah was not dissatisfied with these words, and the beggar said much more to the same effect which he regarded as signs of his popularity, so that he opened his purse from time to time and threw handfuls of money into the crowd, not counting the cost, since he expected to be master of all the treasure in Riyadh within a few days. But the beggars were disappointed, for they had hoped that he would turn out to be avaricious, and endeavor to elude them by walking through narrow and lonely streets, where they might catch him. So they pressed more and more upon him every day, trying to exhaust his patience and his charity. In this, however, they failed not understanding that the vanity of such a man is inexhaustible and knows no price. Abdullah, too, chose rather to be abroad during the daytime than in the evening or the early morning, for he desired to be seen by the multitude and spoken of as having went through the marketplace. Yet on the last evening of all he fell into the hands of the sheik of the beggars, and evil befell him. The hour of prayer was past, and it was almost the time when lights are extinguished. Then Abdullah took his sword under his abba, and also a good knife, which he had proved in battle, and which in his hand would pierce a coat of mail as though it were silk. Almasta, his wife, also made a bundle of woman's clothing and carried it in her arms, 
for they intended to go to a lonely place by the city wall, that Abdullah might there put on female garments before entering the palace. He feared, indeed, lest if it were afterwards known by what disguise he had accomplished his purpose, he might receive some name in derision, from which he could never escape so long as he lived. Yet he had no choice but to dress as a woman, since he could not otherwise by any means have gone to the harem. As he came out of his house, accompanied only by Almasta, he was seen at once by the two beggars who were always on the watch, and then, wishing to warn their companions, of whom many were lying asleep upon doorsteps in the same street and in others close by, these two made haste to get up, pretending to be lame and making a great clatter with their staffs, as they limped after Abdullah. Then he, who lived to exercise charity in the marketplace, but not in the dark where none could applaud him, made a pretense of not seeing the poor man, and went swiftly on with Almasta running by his side. But as he walked fast, the two beggars, although apparently lame, increased their speed with his, and their clatter also. Does a sound man need a horse to escape from cripples? asked Abdullah, and he turned quickly into a narrow lane. It will be wiser to scatter a few coins to them, said Almasta. They will then stop and search for them in the dark, for these men are very importune, and will certainly hinder us. But Abdullah was confident in his legs as a strong man, and only walked the faster, so that Almasta could, with great difficulty, keep beside him. Then they heard the beggars running after them in the dark, and calling upon them. Oh, Abdullah, they cried, the light of your charitable countenance goes before us like a lantern, and illuminates the whole street. Be merciful and give us a small coin, and Allah will reward you. Then Abdullah stopped in the darkest part of the narrow lane, seeing that they had recognized him, and conceived that it would be reproachful for a sheikh of pure blood to run from beggars, and he feared also that it would be remembered against him on the morrow. He therefore made a pretense of being diverted, and laughed. Surely, he said, the lame men of Riyadh could outrun in a race the sound men of any other city. And, by Allah, I have little money with me, for I was going to a friend's house to receive a sum due to me for certain mares. Yet I will give you what I have, and I pray you, go in peace. Thereupon he sought in his wallet for something to give them, and while he was seeking, they began to praise him after their manner. See this Abdullah, they said? He is the father of the poor and distressed, and is ever ready to divide all he has with us. Yallah, bless him exceedingly. Yallah, increase his family. But when Abdullah had found the money and was putting it into their hands, he was suddenly aware that instead of two beggars, there were now ten or more. And these again multiplied in an extraordinary manner, so that he felt himself hemmed in on every side in a close press. O oh Allah, he exclaimed, thou art witness that unless these small coins are multiplied a hundredfold, as the basket of dates by the prophet at the trench before Medina, I shall have nothing to give these worthy persons. By this time the blind sheik of the beggars was present, and he pushed forward, pretending to rebuke his companions. Oh, you greedy ones, he cried, how often have I told you not to be so importune? Yet you crowd upon him like wasps upon a date, presuming upon the goodness of his heart, and when there is no more room you crowd upon each other. Forgive them, O Abdullah, he said, addressing him directly, for they have the appetites of jackals together with the understanding of little children. They would thrust into the dish a hand as small as a crow's foot, and withdraw it looking as big as a camel's hoof. Their manners are also... My friend, said Abdullah, I will give what I can. Let me therefore pass on, for my business is of importance, yet the throng is so great that I cannot move a step. Tomorrow I will distribute much alms to you all. The radiance of your merciful countenance is enough for us, replied the sheik of the beggars, and even I who am blind, comforted by its rays, as by those of the sun and spring, and my hunger is appeased by the honey of your incomparable eloquence. My friend, said Abdullah, interrupting him again, 
I pray you to let me go forward now, for I have a very important matter at hand, though it is with difficulty that I tear myself away from your society, and I would willingly listen much longer to the words of the wise. Then the blind man turned to the other beggars, and his hearing told him that by this time there were at least three score in the streets. Come, my brothers, he cried, let us accompany our benefactor to the house of his friend, and afterwards we will wait for him and see that he reaches his own dwelling in safety. Surely it is not fitting that a sheik of such great consideration should go about the streets at night without so much as an attendant carrying a lantern. Let us go with him. Now these last words were the signal agreed upon, and even as Abdullah began to protest that he desired no such honorable escort as the beggars offered him, one came from behind and suddenly drew a thick barley sack over his head, so that his voice was heard no more, and he was dragged down by the throat, while the one-eyed hunchback caught him by the legs and bound his feet and four others laid hold of his hands and tied them firmly behind him. Nor had Almasta time to utter a single cry before she was bound hand and foot with her head in a sack, like her husband. Then at a signal, the beggars took up the two as though they had been bales packed ready for the camel's back, and carried them swiftly into the darkness, toward the eastern gate, where the blind man lived in a ruined house together with three or four of his most trusted companions. He also sent a messenger to his relation, the Bedouin, as had been agreed. It was already quite dark in the streets, and the few persons who met the beggars did not see what they were carrying, nor ask questions of them, merely supposing that they had lingered long in the public square after evening prayers and were now returning in a body to their own quarter. The blind man's house was built of three rooms and a wall, standing in a square around a small court. But only one of the rooms had a roof of its own, though there was a sort of cellar under the floor of one of the others, which served at once as a lodging for beggars in winter as a storehouse for food when there was any in supply and a place of deposit for the ancient iron chest in which the common fund of money was kept. To this vault the sheik of the beggars made his companions bring the two prisoners, and having set them on the floor, side by side, he proceeded to hold a council in which the captains themselves had no part, since their heads were tied up in the dusty barley sacks, and they could not speak so as to be heard. O oh, my brothers, said the blind man, Allah has delivered the enemies of the kingdom into our hand, and it is necessary to decide what we will do with them. Let the oldest and the wisest give their opinions first, and after them the others, even to the youngest. And last of all, I will speak, and let us see whether we can agree. Let's kill the man and bury him, and then cast lots among us for the woman, said one. No, said the next, a man who had twice made the pilgrimage, and was much respected. We cannot do this, for the man is a true believer, and evil will befall us if we shed his blood. Let us rather keep him here and purify his hide every day with our staffs, until Colette is in no more danger, then we'll take him to the palace and deliver him up. It is to be feared, said the cheek of the beggars, that the man might chance to die of this sort of purification, though indeed it is very wholesome for him, and I am not altogether against it. Let us make him our slave, said a third, who had himself been a slave of a poor man, who had died without heirs. The fellow is strong. Let us buy millstones and make him grind barley for us in this cellar. In this way, he will not eat our food for nothing. After this, many others gave advice of the same kind, but while they were talking, there was a great clattering and noise upon the stone steps which led down into the cellar, and a man fell over the last step, and rolled over and over into the very midst of the council, railing and lamenting. It is that ass of Egypt, said the sheik of the beggars. I know him by the clattering of the wooden hooves he wears on his hands, and also by his brain. Let him also give his opinion when he is recovered from his fall. It is strange and marvelous, said one, that he who has no legs should suffer so many falls being, by the will of Allah, always upon the earth. For when we first saw him, we found him fainting upon the ground, having fallen from the wall of the garden, though no man could tell how he had climbed upon it. I have been transported to the top of the walls in a dream, replied the cripple, for there were dates in that garden, 
but having eaten too greedily of them, I fell asleep on the top, and I dreamed that my body was torn by hyenas, and waking suddenly I fell down, for the dates were yet green. This may or may not be true, said the blind man, but you are an Egyptian. Let us, however, hear what you have to advise in the matter of Abdullah and his wife, whom we have taken prisoner. I fear that you mock me, O Lord, answered the man, but if I am mocked, I will advise that this Abdullah be also made a sport of, for us first, and for the people of Riyadh afterwards. Tell us how this may be done, for a good jest is better than salt for roasting, and the sheep lie here bound before us. Take this man, then, said the cripple, and uncover his face, and hold him fast. Then let one of us get the razor and shave off all his beard and his eyebrows, and the hair of his head even to the nape of his neck. Then if he came suddenly before her who bore him and cried, Mother, she would cover her face and answer, Be gone, thou ostrich egg, for she would not know him. And tomorrow we will take his excellent clothes from him and put them on our sheik. But we will dress Abdullah in rags such as would not serve to wipe the mud from the slave's shoes in the time of the subsiding waters. And we will tie his hands under his armpits and put a halter over his head and lead him about the city. Then he will cry out against us to the people, saying that he is Abdullah. But we will also cry out and answer, See this madman who believes himself to be the sheik of Bedouins, though Allah has given him no beard. O people of Riyadh, you may know that the spring has come by the braying of this ass. Yet I see now that there may be wisdom in bragging, said the sheik of the beggars. The Bolam ibn Bior shut his eyes against it, and was punished for his cursing so that his tongue hung down to his breast all his days, like that of a thirsty dog. This is good counsel, for in this way we shall not shed the man's blood, nor render ourselves guilty of his death. But I think we shall earn a great reward from Colette, and his kingdom will be saved in laughter. During all this time Abdullah was not moved, knowing that he was in the power of many enemies and beyond all reach of hell. But when he heard the decision of the sheik of the beggars, he was filled with shame and rolled himself from side to side upon the floor, as though trying to escape from the bonds that held him. Almasta, for her part, lay quietly where they had put her, for she saw that all chance of success was gone and was pondering how she might take advantage of what had happened to save herself. Then the beggars laid hold of Abdullah and held him, while others took the sack from his head. He was indeed half smothered with dust, so that at first he could not speak aloud, but coughed and sneezed like a dog that had thrust its nose into a dust heap to find the bone which is hidden underneath. But presently he recovered his breath and began to rail at them and curse them. To this they paid no attention, but brought the oil lamp near him, and one began to rub soap upon his face and head, while another got the razor with which the beggars shaved their heads and began to wet it upon the leather girdle. Do not waste the precious stones of your eloquence upon the barbers, said the sheik of the beggars, but reserve your breath and the rich treasures of your speech until you are brought as a plucked bird before the people of Riyadh. Moreover, we only wish to shave off your beard, but if you are restless, some of your hide will certainly be removed also, whereby you will be hurt, and it will be still harder for your friends to recognize you tomorrow. It is also useless to shout out and scream as though you were driving camels, for you are in the cellar of my house, which is at a good distance from other habitations, on the borders of the city. So Abdullah saw that there was no escape, and that his fate was about his neck, and he sat still as they placed him, while the one-eyed hunchback shaved off his beard and the hair on his upper lip and his eyebrows, and a lock at the back of his head. When this was done, the blind man put out his hand to feel Abdullah's face. Surely, he said, this is not a man's head, but the round end of a walking staff, rubbed smooth by much use. They also tied his hands under his armpits, and put about him a ragged shirt with sleeves, so they seemed to have lost both arms at the elbow. This is very well done, said the hunchback, turning his head from side to side in order to see all with his one eye. But what shall we do with the woman? Let us cast lots for her, for he who wins her shall marry her, and we will hold the feast immediately for we have not yet supped, and there is some of the camel's meat which we received today at the palace. 
Oh, my brothers, answered the sheik of the beggars, let us do nothing unlawful in our haste, for this woman is certainly one of Abdullah's wives, as you may see by her clothes, and unless he divorces her, none of us can take her for ourselves, seeing that she is the wife of a believer. Take the sack from her head, however, and if she deafens us with her screaming, we can put it on again. But you must by no means put her to shame by taking a veil from her face, for she be an honest wife, though her husband be a dog. If she has done well, we shall find it out, and no harm will come to her. But if she is a sharer in his fellow's plans, her punishment will be grievous, since she will be the wife of an outcast, having neither beard nor eyebrows, and rejected by all men. Some of the beggars murmured at this, but some of them praised their sheik's wisdom, and would indeed have feared greatly to break the holy law, being chiefly devout men who prayed daily in the mosque and listened to the khutbah on Friday. They therefore placed Almasta in one corner of the cellar and Abdullah in another, so that the two could not converse together. Then they took out such food as they had and began to eat their supper, laughing and talking over the jest and anticipating the reward which awaited them for saving Colette. In the meanwhile the night was advancing, and many of Abdullah's friends left their houses secretly and gathered in the neighborhood of the palace to wait for the first signal from within. By threes and by twos, and singly they came out of their dwellings, looking to the right and left to see whether they were not the first, as men do who are not sure of being in the right. All had their swords with them, and some their bows also, and some few carried their spears, and they made no secret of their bearing weapons. But under each man's abba was concealed the largest barley sack he could find in his house, and concerning this no one of the multitude said anything to his neighbor, for each hoped to get a greater share than the others of the gold and precious stones from the fabulous treasure stored in the palace. Then most of these men sat down to wait, as vultures do before the camel is quite dead. But not long after the middle of the night they were joined by a great throng of Bedouins from Abdullah's tribe. These had been admitted into the city by the watchmen according to the agreement, and passed up the great street from the Hasa gate, in a close body, not speaking and making but little noise with their feet as they walked. Yet all of them together could be heard from a distance, because there were so many, and the sound was like the night wind among the branches of dry palm trees. After them, other Bedouins came in from camps both near and far, some of them having made a half-day's journey since sunset, and they surrounded the palace on all sides and filled the great gate, and the street which passed by the mosque towards the Derya gate and all the other approaches to the open square, sitting down wherever there was room, or standing up in a thick crowd when they were too closely pressed to be at ease. They talked together from time to time in low tones, but when their voices rose above a whisper, some man in authority hushed them, saying that the hour was not yet come. By this time, Abdullah has slain Khaled, said some, and the daughter of the old sultan is a prisoner. And by this time, said others, Abdullah is surely unlocking the treasure chamber and filling up barley sack with pearls and rubies. It is certain that he who slays the lion deserves his bride. But we hope that something will be left for us. Hush, said the voice of one moving in the darkness. Be patient. It is not yet time. Then, for a space, a deep silence fell on the speakers, and they crouched in their places, watching the high black walls of the palace and marking the motion of the stars by the highest point of the tower. Before long, whispered words were heard again. It would have been more just if Abdullah had opened the gate to us as soon as he had slain Khaled, for then we could have seen what he took. But now, who shall tell us what share of the riches he is hiding away in the more secret vaults? This is true, answered others, and besides, what need have we of Abdullah to help us into the palace? Surely we could have broken down the gates and slain the guards and Khaled himself without Abdullah's help. Yet we, for our part, would not shed the blood of a man who has always dealt very generously with us, nor do we believe the story of the camels laid in secret in hell. However, what is ordained will take place, and we shall undoubtedly receive plentiful gold merely for sitting here to watch the stars through the night. 
The stories of the camels is not true, said a certain man, speaking alone, for I was one of the drivers sent with them, and being hungry, we opened one of the bales on the way. By Allah, there was nothing but wheat in it, and it was white and good, but there was nothing else, not so much as a few small coins. Then there was a the sound of a blow, and the man who was speaking was struck on the mouth, so that his speech was interrupted. Peace and be silent, said a voice. They who speak lies will receive no share with the rest when the time comes. But the man who had been struck was the strongest of all his tribe, though he who had struck him did not know it. And the man caught his assailant by the waist in the dark, and wrestled with him violently, being very angry, and broke his forearm and his collarbone and several of his ribs. And when he had done with him, he threw him over his shoulder so that he fell fainting and moaning three paces away. O oh, you who strike honest men in the mouth in the dark, you have been over-rash, he cried. Go home and hide yourself, lest I recognize you, and break such bones as you have still whole. This is well done, said one of the bystanders in a loud voice, for the story of the camels laden secret with treasure is a lie. I also was with the drivers and ate of the wheat, nor do I believe that Khaled is a robber and a Persian. We do not believe it, cried a score of Bedouins together, and if we had come together, it is to get our share like other men, since they tell us that Khaled is dead. But now we believe that Abdullah has shut himself into the palace and means to keep all for himself, and is cheating us. These men were none of them of Abdullah's tribe, but as the voices grew louder, Abdullah's kinsmen came up and endeavored to quiet the growing tumult. The crowd had parted a little, and the strong man stood alone in the midst. We pray you to be patient, said Abdullah's men, for the time is at hand and the false dawn has already passed, though you have not seen it, so that before long it will be day. Then the gates will be opened, and you shall all go in. We have no need of your sheiks to open gates for us, said the strong man, in a voice that could be heard very far through the crowd. And moreover, it will be better if you do not strike any more of us, or by Allah, we will not only break your bones, but shed your blood. At this there was a sullen cry, and men sprang to their feet and laid their hands upon their weapons. But a youth who had come with Abdullah's kinsmen, though not one of them, bent very low over the man who had been thrown down, and then spoke out with a loud and laughing voice. Truly, they said that crows lead people to the carcasses of dogs, he said. This fellow is of the family which murdered my father, upon whom may Allah send peace. Nor will I cede the bounds of moderation and justice. Thereupon the young man drew out his knife and immediately killed his father's enemy, as he lay upon the ground. And then he withdrew quickly into the dark crowd, so that none knew him. But though there was only the light of the stars and the multitude was great, many had seen the deed, and each man stood closer by his neighbor and grasped his weapon to be in readiness. The kinsmen of Abdullah saw that they were separated from their own tribe and drew back warning the others to keep the peace and be silent, lest they should cut off their share of the spoil. But their voices trembled with fears of their own safety, and they were answered by scornful shouts and jeers. The young man says well that you are crows, cried the angry men, for you wish to keep the carcass for yourselves. Come and take it if you are able. Now indeed the quarrel which had begun by the blow struck in the dark spread suddenly to great dimensions, for the words spoken were caught up as grains of sand by the wind and blown into all the men's ears. Many were ready enough to believe that Abdullah had cared only for enriching himself and his tribe, and many more who had been persuaded to the enterprise by the hopes of gain turned again to the faith in Khaled as the dream of gold disappeared from their eyes. Yet Abdullah's tribe were numerous, and it was easy to see that if the dissensions grew into a strife of arms, the fight would be long and fierce on both sides. Then certain of those that were against Abdullah raised the cry that he had slain Khaled and escaped with the treasure by secret passage leading under the walls of the city, which passage was spoken of in old tales though no one knew where to find it. But the multitude believed and pressed forward in a strong body, and began to beat against the iron-bound gates of the palace with great stones and pieces of wood. Abdullah's men came on fiercely to prevent them, but were opposed by many. 
and as the wing of night was lifted and the dawn drank the stars the wide square was filled with the clashing of arms and the noise of a great tumult End of chapter 11